Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with the professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with the Professor. we got a lot of football to talk about because Combine is coming up, free agencies coming up. Will Brinson is joining us from CBS Sports. And, of course, uh, the first thing I think, Will, is on Schooled here is that uh, educate us on how this quarterback thing is going to sort out because in all the years of covering this league, I don't think I've seen as much potential turnover at cornerback in one season as we might have with uh, you know the older guys moving on and the younger guys moving in and big names moving. I mean, I'm just stunned at how this is going to be. Yeah, John. I mean, it's it's incredible. And you know, you. Uh, I mean, I, I've been covering the league for a minute. You you got you got more we got more uh, skins on the wall than I do. But I think you're right. I mean, it's we've never seen. I mean. The only thing that really comes to mind, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, billboard coverage of quarterbacks moving is, is you know, either the Favre coming back or, or Peyton Manning's, reti- uh, uh, you know, uh, tour where he ended up with the Broncos. And even then, you know, it's just one guy that we are covering obsessively. This is, this is a crazy, uh, you know, game of musical chairs that involves, we know Philip Rivers is out. Uh, in, in Los Angeles, San Diego, and it does seem like Indianapolis is a great fit there for him with Frank Wright, his old pal. I, I personally believe that Philip Rivers, and, and I'm a bit of a homer here as an NC State guy, but I think he would be a better fit in Bruce Arians' offense, and people are giving him credit for it because he, he's sort of a, 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 a Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston with a better conscience in terms of in terms of turning the ball over. Um, you know, Winston himself, it, it, it's it's really hard to get a gauge on, on what they want to do. You know, Jason Light drafted them, of course. Bruce Arians brought in to, to tutor him. But, you know, he's – Bruce hadn't exactly – I mean, Bruce is pretty forthright. And he, he hadn't exactly been, um, you know, banging the table publicly for Jameis to come back in Tampa. But it all starts with Tom Brady, right? I mean, that's, that's yes. the big domino. If, if Tom ends up leaving and going somewhere other than New England, um, I think it sets off a crazy chain of events because it gets Bill Belichick – involved in, in this market, either for a tra- trading a guy, whether it's Andy Dalton or Cam Newton, uh, both of whom I, I do believe will be traded, or, or going out and signing a guy, whether it's, you know, he thinks that he can win with Teddy Bridgewater, or he believes Marcus Mariota's been underused, or, you know, he thinks Jameis Winston could be, you know, uh, captured, the magic of Jameis could be captured by Josh McDaniels. I, I don't know that he thinks those things, but I do know that, you know, when you look at how he jumped into free agency with Stephon Gilmore a few years ago, you could see him being decisive with with a move on one of these quarterbacks. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing I, I'm so baffled at because, again, trying to fit where everybody's going to go is almost impossible, and I don't think I've ever seen a year like this. I think you're right about Rivers. I mean, it would be a great fit in Tampa. Probably the better fit would be Indianapolis, but I, I certainly think at this stage that uh, – I know Bruce Arians hasn't tipped his hat one way or another because he hasn't decided yet, but I get the feeling that uh, he is going to move on from Marcus Murray. I mean, from uh, Jameis Winston. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the thing is, I think the thing with Jameis Winston that people sort of misunderstood coming into 2019 with Bruce Arians is that, yes, I mean, he is the ultimate no-risk-it-no-biscuit quarterback because he – he just doesn't care when it comes to to forcing a ball into coverage. He, uh, I, I'm curious about the LASIK thing actually because you, you know he would he would just miss linebackers and underneath coverage all the time, dating back to the days at Florida State. I was wondering if you know getting his vision corrected uh, actually could help that. On the other hand, you know, it doesn't sound like the team knew that he was going to get that that corrective surgery done, so that's a little surprising. And I, I do think that uh, people 
sort of interpret a big arm that Jameis Winston has, and he does, you know, college baseball player can throw the ball a mile. Uh, they, they sort of uh, like conflate the idea of a big arm with downfield accuracy. And that's the thing that you, you really thrive in Bruce Arians' system with is that downfield accuracy. When you look at, you know, the guys that he's worked with, whether it's Carson Palmer, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, these guys had touch, you know, deep down the sideline. And, and I just don't know that Jameis necessarily has that right now. He can throw it down there and he can heave the ball up and let Mike Evans run underneath it. But I don't think he has necessarily that downfield accuracy that, that Bruce Arians craves. Now, maybe Phillip Rivers has lost a step or maybe he thinks he can get it back. I, I, I think – Arians like Belichick, a very curious coach to watch in this process. Oh, no question. And my big thing with the LASIK surgery was for nearsightedness. Wouldn't it be more for the farsightedness? Yeah. Because, again, his interceptions are you know, so so much downfield than it was anything else. I'm wondering if he got the right surgery. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point, and, and, unless it is the underneath coverage. And even then, it's like, well... You know, I mean, it's not like you can. It's not like all these problems were caused by his eyes. I mean, he, you know, you still have the mental processing part of it, where Jameis says, and again, dating back to his days in Florida State, you know, there's the the very infamous meme uh, situation against Oregon, right, where he, he goes flying up and loses the ball. I mean, this is just a guy who likes to extend plays in dangerous ways, both through the air and on the ground with his legs. Um, you know, he doesn't, and I just don't know that. As much as like Bruce wants guys to, he wants guys to be okay making mistakes, but he wants them to be okay making mistakes in the, you know, in the constraints of the offense and then in, inside the, the, you know, the structure of the offense and, and, and throwing in that. Not, Jameis tends to make these mistakes when, you know, he's trying to force something and trying to keep a play alive. And it just, I mean, 30 picks, I mean, 30 for 30 is unbelievable. And to, to have the season end on a, walk-off overtime pick six for interception number 30, that's a tough one to get past. No, I agree. Uh, back, you know, back to Tom Brady. I thought we had it all figured out at the Super Bowl because a couple things started to develop. We had the Hulu commercial where he basically talks about maybe <laughs> it's time to to move on, and you know, of course, he was not going to move on from Hulu. You're thinking, oh, is he ready to leave the Patriots? Then the story comes out that uh, the Patriots are willing to pay him thirty million, and so everything seemed to be fine. Then all of a sudden, Bob Kraft last week comes out and says, "No, I think that Tom should look at free agency and then get back to us." And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I mean, is this thing really going to be to the point where you're going to go down to the 16th to the 18th of uh, March and uh, let him at least explore the possibility of leaving? I, I just, you know, to me, it's confusing now where I thought it was all settled down at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you, you mentioned the 16th to the 18th. That's so key because on the 18th at 4 p.m. when the new league year starts, there's a $13.5 million dead cap charge on the Patriots for Tom Brady and the voidable years that he has left. And so uh, it, you know, the, the sense you get and the buzz around the league, I think is that the Patriots, you know, as you point out, like they're not going to file tampering charges if he goes and talks with the chargers, because of course he's still under contract technically with those voided years until the new league year. Um, but I, I just, man, John, I haven't, and then, you know, I, I, you know, again, you've covered the league for a long time. You've, you've been around Bill Belichick for, for many years. And, but I just, I'm curious. Like, I don't think that Bill Belichick is going to be okay with having a $13.5 million dead cap charge for Tom Brady and paying Tom Brady $30 million a year on a new contract to, to come back to the Patriots. To me, if he gets to that March 18th at 4 p.m. deadline and he hasn't signed with the Patriots, that means he's probably going somewhere else because 
that's just not an economical approach that Bill Belichick has ever taken with his roster. And I would be surprised if he made a, you know, a, a concession here when they've had the opportunity to re-sign Brady. And, uh, you know, additionally, I just don't – I'd be curious to see sort of from that March 16th tampering window, and, and we know that you know, teams, teams talk outside of, outside of the, uh, the, the legal tampering window and agents talk, and I'm sure there will be conversations with – off-the-record conversations with Brady and his agent and, and various teams – um, I, I'm just curious how these, how these, you know, whether it's the Chargers or Raiders or Titans or whoever it is, hypothetically speaking, are able to pitch Tom Brady on the idea of coming to their franchise and being the face of their franchise and giving him this financial package and putting this talent around him without actually bringing him to the facility. And I know that you know Tom's Tom's been to all these places because he's played in the league for a really long time, but. I just have a hard time with the the idea of the Chargers sitting down on the 16th and and convincing Brady to come to LA or, you know, in in wherever they meet in the span of 24 hours. Of course, I mean we saw that with Peyton Manning because he kind of handled it that way. It's like, okay, I'm going to be here. You come see me, and we'll talk. And yep. uh, it's because you know you can see that with the way this is going to go. And I agree. It's like you think if you're Tom and you want to get back to the Super Bowl with a different team, you'd want to visit the team and see where it's going to go. But this thing's going to be too fast paced for that. Yeah, exactly. And like the thing with Peyton Manning, of course, is that Peyton Manning was cut by the Colts, and he was a true free agent, able to. I mean, God, I remember they, CBS, they were like, we need you out at the Raleigh-Durham airport right now. You live in North Carolina. Get up to Raleigh. You know, it's like, like, what are you talking about? It's like, you know, Peyton Manning's flying in to go. You know, he's got somebody meeting with him and David Cutcliffe at Duke. Um, you know, it, it was just a wild to see. I think Pete Carroll wanted to have him on like a submarine off the off the Maldives or something. I mean, that, that's a joke. But, you know, he had like there was a helicopter involved, a helicopter meeting at some Me, point. Meeting him on the tarmac, uh, trying to get him on the tarmac. Yes. Yeah, he's like, hey, Peyton, just hop out of the tarmac. Peyton's like, no, no, no. I, I only, only sit, you know. It, the, the whole thing was wild. But I, and you're right. Like, t- there isn't that. It, you know, and I think looking back on the timeline, Peyton's was around the same time of year. I think it was like the 18th through the 22nd, maybe, when he signed. Um, Tom Brady doesn't have the luxury of four days of flying around the country and meeting with everybody. He's got, you know, a, a 48-hour window where presumably – you know, the Patriots are going to give Don Yee an offer and say, listen, here's what we've got. Here's, here's the guys we're going to target in free agency. Maybe it's Austin Hooper. Maybe it's Hunter Henry to, to give him help at the tight end position. You know, maybe we'll try and you know, go after Emmanuel Sanders. Like, you know, here's our targets. Here's who we've been talking to. Here's our offer. And that's a tough, that's a tough window to weigh all of that if you're Tom Brady. No, agreed. Also, negotiations uh, continue, I guess, with Dak Prescott. But uh, this thing has really gone longer than I've expected because, you know, he's not making much money. And then he doesn't want to be I'm sure he doesn't want to be franchised because he's going to make so much less than what he would make. Turned down 33 million last year. I mean, what number is the right number for Jerry Jones to sign Dak Prescott? Well, I mean, if, if you know, all due respect to Jerry, if he was smart, he would have signed him last off. Right. And have him at a. A, a very controllable, like twenty-eight point five million or thirty-two point five million or whatever, you know, whatever he was able to get him at last year. Man, I, you know, I I sat down with Dak for uh, for a podcast interview we did at the Super Bowl, and you know, just briefly. And look, I'm I'm just saying this anecdotally. He didn't tell me anything, but this is just the sense that I got from him. I mean, it, he looked like a guy who is just kind of fed up with having to deal with the questions day in and day out about being on the Cowboys, who who. And I, I would agree with this sentiment that he probably believes that he's done enough to justify getting a contract that is somewhere in that upper echelon number. Like he doesn't, 
you know, I, I doubt he. I, I think he would probably, you know, like if, if the Cowboys are like, listen, we'll give you thirty-three million a year, uh, you know, fully guaranteed for three years. Then he would just sign it, and be like, let's go. I want to go be the Cowboys' quarterback. Let's go do it. I, obviously, you know, his representation has to push for more than that. And the, the fine line that the Cowboys are really walking here with the franchise tag is that, you know, if Patrick Mahomes signs his deal and ends up getting, you know, forty million a year in, in new money. It's going to make it like I understand that Dak Prescott doesn't have the resume that Patrick Mahomes does and that no one in their right mind would take Dak over Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, it's not as simple as that. If, if Mahomes signs that deal and Dak is on a franchise tag, you know, he, he's going to have the opportunity to push to get above $40 million, And he has a viable argument for it just because of the way that the quarterback economics work. Additionally, I think the Cowboys should be a little worried that the, the mechanisms of the franchise tag could change with the new CBA. And so to me, it's just so surprising that they keep pushing up against this, this, these artificial self-imposed deadlines when they could probably offer Dak something and you know, just offer him what Russell Wilson has and be done with it and have him under a, a nice contract that's going to get blown out of the water as soon as Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and, and other, other young quarterbacks sign. To me, it, it, it's, it's very bizarre how long it's taken. I would, John, I would, if I were Dak, and I say, you know, say this as somebody, you know, walking around their living room with no physical ability to actually play football, but I would play under the franchise tag and just, just as long as I could and just see where it got me. Because I think the longer you play this out, the more money you're getting per year. Yeah. The only problem is, is that uh, the franchise tag will be about 27 mil and that'd be, uh, you know, 8 million less than Russell Wilson. And, you know, it's on a one year basis. And so, you know, that it's, it's almost like you're getting him cheap. And of course, uh, Jerry Jones has had him cheap, you know, just by paying him $600,000 for a year for the first four years. Yeah, no, that's true. And look, that's the other thing is, you know, Dak, not unlike the other guys in his draft class, Carson Wentz and, and, and Jerry Goff, you know, who have gotten extensions, he didn't get that huge, you know, quote unquote, huge, you know, $25 million or whatever it was, $30 million, uh, you know, original contract. I mean, he was on the, a late round deal and he's having to work, you know, he's, he's grinding on these endorsements, right? He's got, I think he's, if you look it up, he's got like nine different companies he does work for, whether it's Pizza Hut or Dannon, um, you know, he's like a, uh, all Gatorade, all these other people that he does work with. And, you know, he's, he's, he's having to supplement, his football income with outside income and, and a lot of commercials and he's, he's good at him and that's great. He's making a lot of money, but it sure would be easier if he was making $30 million a year or $28 million a year or whatever it is uh, with, with a lot of guaranteed and upfront signing bonus. So if I, I mean, if I'm Dak, I, I look at it like I lost out on some money that these other quarterbacks got and I'm, I'm planning on recouping it with my next deal. We already know that uh, <clears throat> there's interest by John Gruden in getting Tom Brady, but if Brady doesn't go, what do you think happens? I mean, are they ready to move on from Derek Carr? I think they are, and this will – I'm already blocked by the whole Carr family on Twitter, so I can't get in trouble, I don't think. Um, but by saying this, I just think that they are – they're at a point where, you know, you look at what Derek Carr has done, and he signed a, a deal that was, you know, top of the market when he signed it. You know, it, it's all kinds of – you know, little loopholes in there in terms of guaranteed money and, and they can get out of it now. I just think that John Gruden has seen what he's seen from Derek Carr and he realizes that he has probably topped out in terms of his ceiling with his current quarterback situation. And uh, look, John Gruden is a, uh, a great coach. He is a Super Bowl winning coach. He is a very smart offensive mind. But one thing he's not is patient. 
And I, I just don't think that, you know, as they move to L.A., as they're looking to you know, increase revenue from ticket sales and from luxury suite boxes and moving to a new stadium, I think he probably wants a big splash at quarterback. And he wants his guy in there at, at quarterback, somebody who can challenge downfield. And, you know, Derek Carr's ability to produce uh, high um, – High uh, yards per attempt is, is is like the most it's, it's like the eighth wonder of the world because or the ninth wonder of the world because the guy doesn't challenge downfield and yet you, you see that you know he you know, completes fifteen to twenty passes every game and you didn't see him throw downfield once and he still somehow is like a ten point one yards per attempt it's, it's uncanny uh, I just think that Gruden wants somebody who is a little more aggressive in pushing the ball vertically I know that maybe in Tom Brady but you know somebody who is, is going to fit in the offense a little bit more. I think he would have some interest in Phillip Rivers. I don't know that, that geographically, maybe that's a little too far for him. You know, I think Ryan Tannehill would actually be a pretty good fit uh, in, in that system as well. Um, but I just, yeah, I just think, you know, I don't know if Jameis Winston is the guy that, that, that would seem to be an experiment that could backfire, but he does have a ton of talent. I, I just think he's reached the point where he knows he needs to, to, to elevate the ceiling on the Raiders offense and that Derek Carr doesn't offer him that. And he, they're able to get out of his contract or potentially trade him. So this offseason would make a lot of sense to make that move. And finally, what does Carolina do with Cam Newton? And if they move on, who do they bring in? The, the Panthers are in a really interesting situation. I, I think if you look at their roster that, and I don't want to accuse the Panthers of tanking or of attempting to lose football games. I don't think they're doing that. That's not, you know, Matt rule doesn't want to, instill that sort of culture just like brian flores in miami didn't want to instill that sort of culture and i don't think tanking necessarily exists at a coach and player level in the nfl anyway but i think when you look at what's on their roster and you look at the way that luke keekley retired he mentioned the coaching staff uh you know the change you know, sort of helped to expedite his decision greg olson who signed in seattle uh, mentioned that you know it was not really a mutual decision to part ways with Carolina, more like their decision. And then you know Cam Newton sort of posturing now about uh, he's absolutely going to come back, but David Tepper uh, won't you know uh, doesn't have an equivocal response on the other side. Uh, you know sort of hedging his bets on whether Cam is healthy. I think they ultimately trade him. I, I just believe they want to hit the reset button, and this is a good opportunity to do so. Cam is very polarizing. In terms of the fan base, there are a lot of people. I, I love Cam Newton, one of one of my favorite players ever. Um, but you know, I think that they realize that the long term future probably isn't with Cam, and it's easier to hit that reset button on everybody here. You look at the top of their salary cap table, and there are a lot of guys they could you know move on from. Older guys like Don Terry Poe, Kawan Short, who are sort of getting long in the tooth, and um, you know have been very good defensive players for him. But uh, maybe they want to clear up some cap space and, and try to get younger quickly. I think that's what they're going to do. As to who they bring in, I, you know, I, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater would be a terrible fit. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to go with like a, a veteran type like a Marcus Mariota who might be a reclamation project. I also wouldn't be stunned if they said, hey, we got Will Greer as a top 100 pick. We know he didn't flash a ton in 2019, but let's see what he can do in 2020. Him and Kyle Allen, we bring in one more veteran. And, you know, you do that and – Worst case scenario, it doesn't pan out for you, but you find out about Greer and you have an opportunity to go get Trevor Lawrence in the, in the, in the forthcoming draft. Okay, so Will, what, uh, where can you get uh, your podcast and also other things that you're writing and doing? Uh, yeah, you can check out the podcast on uh, Apple Podcast. It's the Pick 6 Podcast, daily NFL podcast, uh, NFL coverage with a little bit of mirth. 
Um, we uh, we are going daily, even through the off season, because my bosses are uh, are cruel people. Wow. Um, and uh, and people can check it out at uh, check out my writing at cbsports.com and on Twitter at Will Brinson. Hey, well, thank you for joining us. I'll see you at the combine. All right, John. Have a great uh, great day. Appreciate it, man. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor. We'll be right back.